If you have a copy of God's Word, I would ask that you would turn to Psalm chapter 12. And one of the reasons that we always encourage you to do that is to see that exactly what we're reading and saying is coming from God's Word. It's good to see each one of you this morning here with us. And I happen to think, how has your world been this week? How is your life going? And if you think of those things, there are many things that may influence that. It might be your personal health. It might be the health of a loved one. It might be the success of your favorite sports team. It might be your marriage. It might be a relationship. It can be many things. It can be your job. It can be the stock market. All of those things. And when we think about them, if most of those things are going well, we'll probably say life is good. But maybe just one of those things is so overpowering right now that things aren't going well, that you think about and ponder those things that seem to be pressing down on you. Well, I believe that we have to know and understand that that's what life is about. And that we have to look at God's word and see that I believe that David was in that exact same spot when he wrote this psalm. He's looking around him and he's seeing what life is like. David was supposed to have written this psalm when Saul was king. He was king, but he was not a good leader. And so times were not good. Men were not honest. They did not have integrity. And therefore, those that were around David that he thought he could trust, he could no longer trust. He did not know who there was that he could turn to. Times were bad. And I believe that's why we know the burden of his heart comes through in this psalm, Psalm 12. David W. Uh, Henstenberg, I believe is how you pronounce that, in his commentary on this particular psalm, I believe rightly described this psalm when he said, it contains the common complaint of the church of all times. Now think about that. The common complaint of the church of all times. This psalm that we will be reading. It says that Christians have been facing this from, ever, from when Christianity came about, when God drew people to themselves up to and through as long as God tarries and this earth ends. Follow along now as I read Psalm chapter 12. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to, to his neighbors. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boast. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us, who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. 
I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of men. I think this psalm is actually kind of a concentric look at something. And when I use the word concentric, I'm talking about concentricity, something that is round. It starts at one spot and ends up in the same place. And what it talks about is the earth is in trouble, the speech of the wicked, God's response, the earth is in trouble and comes right back. That's what David must have thought and felt when he read and made, when he wrote this psalm. So I've said that this is good thoughts for bad times. We're going to start with the bad times. What did he say in this psalm where the things that we see make bad times? What makes bad times? When there is a general decay of piety and honesty. Verse 1. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful has vanished from among the children of men. Godly and faithful men are now gone, so who is left? None that are true to other men or none that are true to God. And how can they be trusted? David must have felt as he looked around and said that godly men are no longer present. What is left? And he must have felt mighty alone. But do you think that he's the only one that has ever felt that way? Do you think that there have been others that have looked around and seen that the conduct of those that are in our midst is so bad that I must be the only one? No, I don't think so. I think there's a great coming together of the Old Testament and the New Testament in Romans chapter 11. Because Paul, in that chapter of the letter that he wrote, he's talking to Christians that feel that God has rejected them that has moved away from it and has abandoned them. Maybe much the same thought that David is having at this same time. And what happens? What does he say? Paul says, Do you not know what the scripture says? Elijah, how he appealed, how he appealed to God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. I alone am left, and they seek my life. David felt that way. Paul is saying the Christians in Rome must have felt that way. Elijah felt that way. We can feel that same thing, that we are among evil individuals. We're going to come back to this. The same piece of scripture, because there is a good part also. There is an encouragement. 
But in this message, I put a few things that I've called practical takeaways. So if we feel that we are the only one that is godly in a group, what should we do? I believe we should pray for the church to be increased. We should pray that God's work continues to draw people unto himself. What greater honor can come to God than we asking that his grace be shown again in its greatness and its power to those around us? Pray for his church to increase. What else makes bad times? When corrupt speech prevails. Verse 2. Everyone utters lies to his neighbors with flattering lips and double heart they speak. David says everyone. Now that's one of those words that we're told we're never supposed to use because they're an absolute. Oh, it can't happen. Everyone? Is that really what it is, David? But have we ever been in that situation where we think everything is against us? Everyone? I think it's an honest and true thought. But I think also it shows us that sin leads to sin. Lies can lead to something else. And what they can lead to is lies can lead to despair. They can lead to betrayal. Betrayal can lead to death. And the example of that, Judas himself. He must have been pretty good at keeping the lie that he really wasn't a follower of Jesus. In all the preaching and all the time that he spent with him, he lived a lie. And that lie turned into betrayal that he was willing to do for money. That the lips that could speak praises to God, he would use as a significant use of actually kissing Christ himself to betray him and point him as, out as the one that needed to be crucified. What an act of betrayal. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 4, Let everyone beware of his neighbor and put no trust in, in any brother, for every brother is a deceiver, and every neighbor goes about as a slanderer. Everyone deceives his neighbor, and no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves, committing iniquity, heaping oppression upon oppression, and deceit upon deceit. They refuse to know me, declares the Lord. Did you hear the last part? Why this comes about? because they refuse to know God. It isn't just the knowledge of God. They refuse to allow him to be Lord and ruler of their life. What else makes this bad? David says, enemies of, good, of God are daring and threatening. Verse 4. Those who say with our tongue, we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Do you hear the pride, the conceit, the confidence in themselves, the contempt for the authority of God himself? It's all through that. 
You know, we've heard people may say, just because you say it doesn't make it true. But I think there are those that if they continue to say something enough, maybe they believe it themselves. Maybe they think they can convince you that just because it's said often and hard enough and loud enough, it must be true. My example, coming again from God's word, is Pharaoh himself. Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. We think of Moses and Aaron. As they went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? that I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Probably many of you have already heard me tell you before, one of my favorite movies is the Ten Commandments. And I believe in that movie, Yul Brynner is spot on when he speaks these words. I can see his arrogance. I can see his, his <coughs> defiance of the one true God as he speaks them in there, in that movie, and he said, I don't know this God. I won't listen. Israel will not go. That's a movie but it depicted exactly to me how this must have been when Pharaoh himself said it. But I don't think that it was just then. I think that it is today. I think about the argument for abortion because there would be those that would say, this is my body. I can do what I want. Nobody is Lord over me. I will make all decisions about it. Can you hear the same thing? Can you hear somebody saying, who is Lord that I should obey that voice? I do not know that Lord. Practical takeaway from this, I believe nothing we have is ours. What is given to us by God is for his service. And whatever we do or say, we have a Lord to whom we are accountable. Those three have to stay together. But they also, I believe, can be used as a prayer when we're considering how we should feel about these things. We can say, Lord, I know that everything that you have blessed me with is really yours. I'm but the steward of it. And I want to use it for your service, whether it's my time, whether it's my talent, whether it's my money, whatever it might be. Because, Lord, I know I have to give an account to you. What makes bad times bad? When the poor and needy are oppressed and abused. Verse 5. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, The way that David has written this, the oppression and the abuse is so great that God himself takes notice. 
They do not have the capacity, that is, those that are in the midst of being plundered and, and are needy, to seek anything for themselves. They have no rights. God's people were not instructed that way. They have been taught this type of behavior is wrong. And we know in Deuteronomy chapter 15, Moses, when he is recounting everything that God has done in and through Israel, he gives again part of that law. Verse 9. Take care lest there be any unworthy thought in your hearts and you say the seventh year, the year of release is near and your eye looks grudgingly at your poor brother and you give him nothing. And he cry to God against you and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in this land. Then therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother to the needy and to the poor in your land. This is the instruction of God to his people. David knew that his brothers and sisters, fellow countrymen, should know the law. This is how they were to treat each other. But it was far from that. And David, again, knows how great this injustice is because it has reached all the way to the heavens to God himself. Next. Wickedness abounds under the protection of those in authority. Verse 8. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. This is one of these pieces of scripture when you're studying it and you're looking at what learned men of God have written and you come and you see that they really do not have a clear consensus as to what this scripture means. You say, now what do I do? You take from a what you know and we do understand and put aside what might be controversial. I shouldn't say controversial. What isn't that clear? But what is clear in this piece of scripture? We are told the wicked and their wickedness are all around. Can we argue with that today? I don't think so. And they are eager to find victims for their deeds. Wicked men want to do their wickedness to others because it is self-seeking, self-promoting. If you remember in our study of 2 Peter, our look at Lot in Sodom. Lot was considered at that time a righteous man because he was protecting those men that came to his house from what was the gross evil in the city that he lived. It was all around him. There was no one other than himself and his visitors had to look to him for their safety 
or else they would fall victim of that same evil. It was that widespread. And I believe David knows that when evil men rise to places of authority, they will use that authority for their evil deeds. But we know by other writings of David that he knew the other side also. He would speak of how rulers should be. 2 Samuel chapter 23, 23 verses 1 through 4. Now these are the last words of David, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high and anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. The spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, Ruling in the fear of God, he draws on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. David said, when rulers are ruling by the fear of God, reverence to God, they will bring growth, they will bring all that is good to their people, that they will grow like the, the sun and the rain does this earth himself. That's what David said should be the rulers, not what was being experienced. The practical takeaway from this is, I believe, we should be praying for our rulers. Those that are set in authority over us, whatever level that might be, whether it's in our local congregation, our body of believers, to civil law, to government, all of those, our supervisors at work, whatever that might be, we should be praying for them. And I feel the most important thing that we should be praying for in, in them is they, if they do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that God continues to be gracious to them, working on the, their heart, that they may be, become followers of Christ himself, but also for the use of their authority that God gives them wisdom, and on and on. So these are the actions of evil that David said that he has seen, that has been all around him. We have said that this is a circle, and we have seen where it starts with uh, trouble in the earth, and that evil men speak. God will speak. Trouble in the earth. We will now look at the good news, the part that we can hang, that we have as our rock and our fortress, which is God Himself. What is our comfort in bad times? David says, We have a God to go to. Verse 1 Save, O Lord. I think that we should take David's lead and exactly how he addresses this psalm and starts out by turning to God himself. Not our own self-reliance, not on others around us, even though that God may use others to help us in situations, turn first to God himself. Start there. And ask for help. Ask to be saved. 
In the different translations that I looked at, some would use save, some would use help. King James used help. NIV used help. ESV, English Standard Version that we have and use usually here, says save. Remember when we spoke of Romans chapter 11 and we said there was good news coming from that? Well, we can go back from that because when Jesus was saying and relating to the Romans what was in the heart of Elijah, how he felt alone that they were threatening his life, Paul would go on to say, what is God's reply to him? Meaning, what is God's reply to Elijah himself? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too at the present time, so too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. God's encouragement is his kingdom is not going away. The remnant will always be there when we think things are bad, when we think that we are the only one, by God's grace, he is still drawing people unto himself. We don't have to fear that. He ha we have his word on that. But also God will deal with false and proud men. Verse 3, may the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongues that make great boasts. See, these people may be above the control of men. They might not be able to dis we might not be able to discover the faith, the falsehood of their flattering, or to humble the speech and the actions of these proud men, but God can. The righteous God will punish and resta restrain their rebellion. There are some that look at this particular verse as it being in the form of a prayer. And I think that's fitting to look at it and see that because David is saying, may the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. He is asking for God to intervene. That's prayer. But as we pray, we can be comforted knowing that temporal judgment of God May, may be imposed on the wicked and it may be the forerunner of something worse, eternal judgment to come to these that are producing this evil. God will work deliverance for his oppressed people. Verse 5. I will now ar arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety of which he longs. As one commentator wrote, the promise of God which David here delivered by the spirit of prophecy is an answer to the petition which he put to God by the spirit of prayer. Help, Lord, he says. I will, says God. Here I am with seasonable and effectual help. And what does that seasonal help mean? It means that God will act in his timing. Not our timing, not when we think things should happen, but as always in God's perfect will and timing. 
But what is that effectual help? It might be for us to be removed and be safe. It might be to take the evildoers and judgment come upon them at a specific time. But one thing that we can know and understand and be confident in is that God's chosen will be restored and there will be no loss. What can man do to us? We should not fear them. We should fear the judgment of God himself. Though men are false, God is faithful. Verse 6. The way the word of the Lord, words of the Lord are pure, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. This is one of those examples that is used in God's word many times. And if you've ever seen any of this happen, it is kind of a remarkable thing. By heat and coming together and melting down this metal, all the things that are unpure are brought away and the pure metal is left. In that process, in real life, it can't be 100%. There is nothing. There might be still some impurity, but we don't have to fear that in God's word. There, there is nothing there that has not been, that is not pure, that is not true and of him. And we can take hope in that. And we can understand that when we rely and know God's word, that he is faithful through it. There is a sincerity of God's word. And what I mean by that sincerity, it is always for our good. There is uh, the preciousness of God's word. It's of great value to us. And nothing in it can depreciate it. And also, there are many proofs and have been given of his power and truth through the ages by the saints. God's word is true. His acts are true. God does not lie. And lastly, what is our comfort in bad times? God will secure his chosen remnant to himself. Verse 7. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. As long as this world stands, past, present, and future, there will be wicked men. And David has spoken of them. But God alone will keep them from this generation, from his own. That is what he's saying when he says, from, from us, from his chosen. So none can be drawn away, none can be destroyed. The church is built on a rock. The gates of hell cannot prevail against it. God is the one that will secure his chosen. I believe that David, when he wrote this psalm, understood that he served a mighty God. That maybe even at this time when things didn't look well, that he was going to be removed and be secure like this last part says. 
But in my closing, I think that I have to speak of the chosen. We've said the security of the chosen, but who and how did the chosen come about? By the grace of God. The chosen are those that God has enlightened to the truth of who he is. See, our hearts are dead. Apart from God working in our individual lives, we are dead in our sin because we like our sin. We want to stay in our sin. And unless God makes that difference in our hearts, in our lives, we will not change. By his grace, he brings us from that and gives us a heart to understand who he is, that he is Lord of all. And he chooses to be Lord of our lives. But that comes at a price. And that price is that sin has to be dealt with. There has to be a payment for sin. And there is nothing that we can do to ever pay that payment. The only way that that could, be, could happen is through the atoning work of God himself and the God-man Jesus Christ on his death on the cross. And what is required of us is to understand and to believe that God has drawn us, done the work, and through faith we are saved by grace. There's nothing that we can do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we understand that there is evil that will be ever-present to us as long as we are in this life. And Lord, I pray that we don't confuse that thought with it being in your church. Lord, there cannot be those false, evil teachers and be Christian. Lord, your church, the true church, is pure. But Lord, we are still sinful. We still cannot look in at, our, at our brothers and sisters in their times of despair or need without sometimes failing to act properly and quickly. And for that, Lord, we ask forgiveness. We ask for a change in heart. Repentance must lead also to a change. But Lord, I pray that we do not despair in this world knowing and seeing that we think the evil continues to abound, and it may. But we petition you, Lord, to be, continue to be graceful and drawing people unto yourselves, and we pray that we are faithful as individuals to speak your gospel message in its truth because that is where the power to change hearts and lives is. We are but the messenger. You, Lord, do that redeeming work, and we ask that it continue. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.